0: Here we go again, Genesis chapter 20. So as we return to our series in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we recall that things have been going pretty well for Abraham. He's received the sign of the covenant from God. Remember when they cut the animals and split them. He also received word from God that the child he has been promised for so long is going to be here in less than a year. He hosted a feast with none other than God and two angels, and then interceded, proceeded to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, and was managed to intercede for his nephew and his family, and they were saved. He's been on a pretty good run of late, and uh, but now we a reminder of just how easy it is even for those who have been walking with the Lord for many years to drift and to fall. And the sad thing is that he falls into an old familiar sin. Something something we've seen him do before. Now they say that uh, a shinbone, a shin bone is a device used for finding furniture in the dark. right? I don't know about you, but we all have those pieces of furniture that we keep hitting as we're about to try to find the switch for the light. And we say to ourselves, "I thought we've hit it, and the we say Ouch, or other words uh that we are we are gonna move it once there's daylight, once there's light, we're gonna move it once we get around to it. And but we never do, and sure enough we hit it again. Genesis chapter twenty shows us that Abraham, the father of faith, Father Abraham actually I'm gonna ask you to come and sing for us, Father Abraham. Uh, whacking his on the same piece of furniture again. And Abraham's weak areas show us the struggles that you and I have in the life of faith. And it gives us hope for ourselves when we're feeling pretty hopeless. If God could work with a sinner like Abraham then he might actually be able to do something with me. So let's look at the the lesson that God has for us in his word this morning. The first thing we want to talk about is sin, verses 1 and 2, sin. We know all about sin. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, Said of, sorry, he said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah, and and took her. That's the setup for the rest of the chapter. Now, if you remember Abraham's journey down to Egypt, that was in chapter twelve. That's when, after the wonderful promise in verses one, one to three then he heads down and you will notice some similarities between that event in chapter 12 and this one and liberal critics argue that these two accounts and then chapter 26 these passages have been scrutinized by by many critics and say so they say where they they say that uh, it's really the same story and the, the author just simply maybe needed a bit of extra material, so he just pasted, cut and pasted little the same episode, changed a few things. And so the the author, Moses, just really wasn't too smart. But there are a number of obvious differences between the accounts. So there is really no reason to doubt their historicity, despite what the liberal critics have to say. Why? Because they are true to life and and they, they show us that certain sins plague us throughout life and that they are often passed on to our children. And just because in the scriptures there are a few chapters apart, it doesn't mean that they happen together, that we do have quite a lot of years. In fact, it would have been like Twenty years in fact between one episode and, and the next. It's no wonder then that one of well, his own son Isaac will do the same and then the grandson Jacob would be will be such a, a bit of a scoundrel, actually. So this this whole thing runs in the family. And not just let's just not get too harsh on that family, because it runs actually through the human family. It, 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 we find these characteristics in all of us. Remember that Abraham is now 100 years old. When he did this same thing in chapter 12, he was just beginning his walk with the Lord. Here, he should have progressed, you would think, in his maturity as a believer, as a friend of God. As someone who has been found righteous and declared righteous by the Lord. And sometimes Christians talk, and I will have a go here at more of the older Christians, those who have been walking with the Lord for many decades. Christians talk as if they they believe they are somewhat immune from sinful behaviour. But this simply is not true of Abraham, and it's not true of the other characters in Scripture. It's not true in my life, and it's not true in the life of other believers that I know of. Remember that there will never be a time, there will never be a time when we will be beyond falling. We must never let down our guard. May we never come to the point that we think that we have arrived at a place in our spirituality, in our spiritual maturity that we cannot sin or that we are, we are, are free from the temptation to commit a particular sin. Recurring sins are always a danger. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Abraham had walked with God for years but he fell into the same hole he banged his shin on the same furniture that defeated him 20 years before. Yes, the Bible teaches us that we can have consistent victory over sin but it also teaches that we need to be careful that even those that consider themselves to be strong Christians, strong saints are vulnerable to temptation. So that is a sin. Let's look at the intervention verses 3 to 7, the intervention but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you're as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, why would Abimelech take a liking to Sarah? She is obviously not getting younger. If Abraham is 100, she would be 90. When, despite the fact that the aging process was a little bit slowed down, uh, she was getting on. And in God's grace, she must have been beautiful. I mean, that's, that's what the Scriptures tell us. But it is also possible that Abimelech, the king of Abimelech, wanted to gain favour with Abraham because, as you know, for, for thousands of years, peace treaties between nations and countries and kingdoms were sorted out when a king married the next king's daughter or sister or whatever it was and that's how the whole thing was, was fixed and peace treaties were sorted out between nations. And Abraham was a powerful man. He was a, he was a very wealthy man. His reputation preceded him. And it may have been just that he was trying to gain some favour with this powerful man. And maybe seeing that she was still single, maybe even wanted to do a favour and say, well, you know, become part of my harem or something. Be it as it may, God was serious about stopping Abimelech from sleeping with Sarah. You see, he had promised that Abraham was to have a son through Sarah, And it was going to happen within the year. If Abimelech consummated with Sarah, there would always be a question as to who the true father of the promised child was. So there's a whole lot more at stake than we can just simply appreciate at face value. What I also find interesting is that God does not prevent Abraham from making the same mistake all over again I mean even though Abraham really blows it here God doesn't step in and stop him from doing so in chapter 12 after Pharaoh took Sarah God sent plagues on Pharaoh pretty much straight away leading you with the impression that Sarah was not in Pharaoh's house for for very long However, here you get the idea that the second time around, Sarah and Abraham were, were separated for a longer period of time. Long enough for someone to say, Hey guys, have you noticed? Have you noticed that that no one's getting pregnant anymore? And that usually takes a while to, to be sorted out, right? What's going on? On the other hand, God does graciously come to Abimelech. And warn him so while God does not stop Abraham from doing the stupidity that he does, God does step in to stop Abimelech from doing something terrible. To his credit, Abimelech is shocked to discover all this and, and pleads his innocence before God. And God goes on to remind him, despite the fact that he is innocent and he didn't know that she was married, that doesn't change the fact that he's still in possession of another man's wife, so she must be returned. There's a lesson here for us. And I want you to to hear me out on this. Sometimes we, we pray for things, we pray for God to open this door and that door and we want things we want God to do things for us is it possible that one reason that some of our doors that we have faced or are facing remain closed is because God is in fact keeping us from sin Just like Abimelech, everything seems good from your perspective. Your motives are pure, but things just aren't coming together. That dream of retiring on a waterfront just isn't happening. The market's crashed or whatever it is, or or somebody just ran away with your money and all that type of stuff. And you're saying, God, why did you allow that to happen? Why am I not progressing in this company? Or why am I not getting promoted? Could it be that God is actually preventing you from, from being away from your family, from getting your hearts to be distracted by material things? Because God does not want to, you to be led astray or for your heart to be distracted from Him. God wants to keep you focused despite the fact that you might be able to say well my motives are pure what's wrong with trying to live a little bit more comfortable so maybe maybe it's the mercy of God that why those doors won't open and obviously you won't completely understand until you get to eternity why some of those prayers the answer was no It's hard to say, isn't it? But there is one thing we can do and we should do. The Apostle Paul, like Jesus, pray the prayer that never fails. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. And sometimes we might hear the answer, my grace is sufficient for you. Be happy with that. Rejoice in that. God then tells him that he should do an odd thing. God tells Abimelech that he should do an odd thing. Ask Abraham to pray for him and he would live. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? Why would God listen to the prayers of the very same guy that has caused all this trouble in the first place? Isn't that interesting? Surely we can find somebody else with a bit more (laughs) righteous uh, disposition than Abraham to pray. No, I want you to go to Abraham and get him. Serious? Well, again, it is here to show Abimelech that in spite of his sin, Abraham is still favoured by God in spite of himself. You will struggle with that. I will struggle with that. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Well, the fact is that God, God's people do not always behave in godly ways. But that doesn't prevent God from using them. Think about this. Abraham's sin was used... Abraham's sin was used as a, as a witness, as a testimony, not of his own character, obviously, but of, to the greatness of God. Abimelech would, would have never known that God was a God of mercy, grace, forgiveness and restoration if Abraham, if Abraham had never fallen into sin. I know. This is the God who, despite the mess that we make, he is able to somehow turn things around and even the mess that we make, able to turn it for his glory. It is never pleasant to see the failure in the life of one of God's children. Sometimes it's like a train wreck. It's horrible. But I'm thankful that God did not sweep Abraham's sin under the rug and that we actually have this story in the scriptures so that we can all ponder a little bit and even, even place ourselves in his shoes. I want you to also understand this. Jesus' words were that you need to be salt and light and that people see your your testimony, your good works, let your light shine before men. And what? And so what happens when that doesn't happen? What's the consequence? Well, let me just say that. You remember that. Need to remember that even though our sins might hurt others, we personally we cannot send anyone to hell, despite how bad our witness is men go to hell because they refuse to receive jesus christ as the lord and savior and nothing we do can cause them or prevent them from doing that our job is to warn them and to live right before them now when we fail to do that Obviously there will be damage caused and I've heard a lot of stories, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are no longer go to church, both this church and previous churches that I've served, that and they tell me the story. I don't want to go to that church, I don't want to, go to, I don't want to have anything to do anymore because of what they did to me. So and so, the pastor and everything else and, 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 and they, they don't longer go anywhere now. And I say, well, you want me to say it's okay? I can understand? Yeah, from a human point of view, I understand. And I'm sorry you had to go through all of that. But you see, ultimately, it's their decision, yes, but it's also they're responsible before God. We can't always... And when we do damage, we can't always undo the damage our sin has caused. But one thing we can do is pray to God for those who have been hurt by our sin. Pray for them. Where possible, ask for forgiveness. I will say always ask for forgiveness. Whether they will accept it or hear it is another matter. But ask for forgiveness and make restitution when we can, where we can. we need to to live as children of the light that even when people accuse us of doing wrong that it is it isn't because we have done something wrong but it is an injustice the fact that they are accusing us of doing wrong but make sure that your behavior is right before the lord Confrontation, verses 8 to 13. Early the next morning, Abimelech probably had a a tough night. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he had told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us how have I wronged you that you have brought up such great guilt upon me and my kingdom you have done things to me that should never be done ain't that the truth and Abimelech asked Abraham what was your reason for doing this just, just again think about this for a while God uses a pagan king to confront a sinning prophet to bring truth into the matter. Does that make you feel a little bit uneasy here? That we consider ourselves the the reservoirs of righteousness and truth all our days, wherever we go and yet God can and does sometimes use those who are not his children to speak truth to us. So we can't just block our ears and say, you can't speak anything to me, I'm a child of the king. God uses a pagan king to confront his sinning prophet, his his friends. And after this happened... I like to say a nice story and say that Abraham confessed his sin and repented there and then. Is that what it says? <laughs> it doesn't say that, does it? That's what I like it to say. And maybe as an editor of this, I would have said, Yeah, well, I just gotta put that in there. But no, our text just tells it like it is. What we see him doing here is making excuses. It's a it's kind of ironic isn't it that even though Abraham thought there would be no fear of God in this place in verse 11 the men of that place feared God more than Abraham it's a bit like it's a bit like the prophet who was called Jonah who was called to to Nineveh and you know he 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 had to go, he didn't want to do it, he was scared, he refused and all that type of stuff and even then he did it in a cranky way. He says, "Eh, all right, I'll go. But he's a cranky man and and, and and here when confronted with with truth, he just comes up with excuses that these people are actually more fearful of God than you are. So, what are the excuses that he comes up with? Well, maybe you can find yourself. I find myself in some of these excuses. Firstly, it was God who pushed him. He says, Ever since God had caused him to wander from his father's house. So, in a way, was, he was blaming God. It's a bit like Adam. He said, The woman you gave me. All right? <laughs> You started all of this. I was happy in Ur of the Chaldeans, You know, I was happy there. But he caused me to wonder. And because he had caused me to wonder, then I have been fearful of my life. I was afraid that I would be killed. So, yeah, God is placing him in a dangerous situation. But how could Abraham really be in danger if God had called him to go into Canaan and made all those promises and everything else What is there to fear? God's going to make it happen, Abraham. All those proofs and everything else, and you're still scared. You're kidding me. Second excuse, he told a half-truth as a truth. Saying that Sarah was his sister, though technically true, was obviously intended in the context that it was intended as a lie. Fact is, she was his wife. More than he was, she was his sister. Promoting falsehood is simply lying. Whatever colour of lie, you call it a white lie, a brown lie, or whatever it is, it's still a lie. The motive is what's counted because you're, you're trying to deceive. Thirdly, Basically, that's the way we've always done it. In our family, that's a tradition in our family. That's the arrangement. He and Sarah had planned and agreed to do this lie years before. And, and I love this in verse 13 as some sort of sign of love commitment. I love that. It, it says here, uh, that, and when God calls me to wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. This is how you can show your love to me, okay? Lovey-dovey, okay? Everywhere we go, say that, you know, here's my, my brother. You love me, dear, don't you? Of course you do. We've never used that one, right? No. <coughs> so God uses a pagan king to confront his sinning prophet And all he has is excuses. Don't take it personally, Abimelech. You just got caught in our scheme of things. All right? So always, we've always conned our way into life, doing things our way. And over all of this is God overseeing his servant, his chosen one. And I say, man, oh man. The more I look at Abraham, I say to, I say to myself, I say, um, I don't like this guy. Father Abraham, come on Ashley, you've got to come and sing with me. I don't, he's, I don't like him very much. And, and some of you are probably thinking, Paul, you're being a bit harsh there. Well, I am. Because of the way the Bible presents him, he's not a very nice person. This is the father, this is this is the one, this is the, the one that God was going to use, brought him out. Surely you could have got something a little bit better, you know, Billy Graham, that type of thing. But what is it about? It's about grace. Does Abraham deserve it? No. Do you and I deserve it? No. That's why it's called grace. And grace is one of those terms that I can make make you all feel gooey and warm and fuzzy, or it can make you feel strangely, you know. Strange. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Does it? In human terms, this whole grace thing. Then Abimelech, verses 14 to 8. Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah to his wife to him. And Abimelech said, my land is you to live wherever you like. And even though Abraham is clearly out of God's will at this time in his life, he's still enjoying God's blessings. That messes up with my theology. But it's still true. many of us could testify to the truth that there have been times when you and I have moved away from God's will, God's best will for our lives and the Lord still blessed us. Why is this? It's because of grace. It is because of grace. And this just serves to remind us that God deals with us on the basis of who we are, of our standing in Him, rather than on the basis of what we do. No, 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 no. This does not give us a license to sin. After all, the the redeemed sinner is going to want to serve the Lord and will be brought to a point of repentance and and he won't rest until things are right between them and the Lord or God will intervene as he does in this case and he does discipline and he does correct but you don't want to go there. Don't test the Lord. And Abraham's sin should have shamed Abraham but there is, it's uncomfortable that there is no indication that he ever acknowledged it or even repented of it much like many in our world today. And I am grateful in the other sense because like Abraham, I struggle with the same sins over and over. I'm sure you do too. So what we need in the midst of our struggle is some encouragement. Remember that the character is not the ground of our acceptance before God. And and again, we tend to think that that the reason that Abraham was the man that he was was because of some merit in his own personal life. That is simply not true. The mercy that God shows us does not come from anything that we may have earned by the kind of life that we have lived. We are not accepted on the basis of our character. We are accepted on the merits, on the basis of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on Calvary for us. That is the imputed righteousness. Let us never forget that. So, when the time comes for us to pass pass into the, the presence of the Lord, yes, I know that there will be different people standing up and saying your eulogy and saying, what a wonderful person you were. I've yet to hear a eulogy of what a terrible person someone has been at a funeral. I've done a, quite a few of them. So they say all the, all the beautiful things, and they, it's almost like saying, this person should be in heaven. They have to be there because they were just so good. No, 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 no. Yes, it's okay to say your eulogies and prepare all of that stuff, but everything, you just put a big cross all around that, and yes, it is a cross, and say... They're in heaven because of Jesus. Congregational preacher, and I'll leave you with this, Congregational preacher Joseph Parker, who lived about a hundred and something years ago, once said, and I quote, I'm glad that Abraham made such a fool of himself. Had he been without flaw, all blemish, perfect and invincible in faith and complete in the sanctification of his character, he should have awed me with his new supernatural respectability. End of quote. So, my dear Christian friend, what am I exhorting you to be this morning is not arrogant and proud because you think you are better than others. Or despairing and disheartened because you consider yourself much worse than others. We can be both, you know, depending on who you pick to compare yourself with. But to recognise that the God who has begun a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. It's not your work, but it's his work through you. And he will not fail in his work through you. Your responsibility, your privilege, is to call upon the Lord, call upon the name of the Lord, help Him deliver you from yourself into His presence. And may He use you, despite yourself, to be His witness in this world that is so hell-bent on destruction. May God bless us. Amen.